It's time for another episode of the Franchise Business Radio Show, broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel Studios in Atlanta, sponsored by Franchise Intellect, knowledge and insight of the franchise community for franchise selection. More info at FranchiseIntellect.com. Also made possible in part by Franchise City, a better way to buy a franchise. More info at Franchise.City. And now here's your host, Pam Curry. Welcome to another episode of Franchise Business Radio Show. Uh, this is your host, Pamela Curry. I uh, also want to get a, a shout out to our sponsor, Franchise City, a better way to select a franchise. Uh, really looking forward to the show today. We've got uh, some excellent guests in the studio, uh, as well as a calling guest. Uh, Tom, welcome to Franchise Business Radio. Thank you. This is Tom Branch. I'm a franchise lawyer with an Atlanta law firm, Maloney Branch and Daphner, and it's great to be here. We've known each other for a long time, and I'm very excited to finally get you in the studio and on the show. Thanks for asking me. Okay. Listeners, tune in if you want to get some really strong legal advice. Absolutely. We also have in the studio, we have Patrick Healy. Patrick, welcome. Well, thank you very much for, for having me and having uh, my partner, Brett Payne, who's uh, calling in from Missouri. It's, uh, well, we are both the co-founders of Contender Esports, and we want to thank you for this opportunity to share Contender with your listeners. Yes, an emerging, exciting new brand, and we're going we're gonna to dive into that in more detail. But before we do that, uh, we want to give a shout-out to Brett in Missouri. How are you, Brett? Pam, hey, I'm terrific. Thank you, for, thank you for having us. Springfield uh, is where I'm at, and uh, we're mostly famous for Brad Pitt, and some people would say The Simpsons. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Uh, well, you know what? I, I, it's funny you should say that. I, I don't know why. When I think of Hollywood and I think of the franchise community, I actually think of Kevin Bacon. The whole, uh, it's not six or seven degrees of separation. We were just laughing about this. It's more like one degree of separation, right? It's getting shorter. Yeah. yeah. Patrick walked in uh, to the studio this morning. Patrick, what happened there? Oh, she goes, you look familiar. And I said, yeah, last night a light bulb went off that we actually met about four and a half years ago <laughs> in the old studio uh, as I was passing through with another person and it just you guys were having a conversation so just, the worlds collide yes so man, it this does. Is manifest destiny. <laughs> absolutely uh, well let's go ahead and dive in first uh, I do want to share with everybody the purpose of franchise business radio show uh, and that is this is a platform to bring together franchise professionals and resources to connect educate and collaborate to serve the franchise community and, and consumer. So I really view this as an educational opportunity. And uh, also want to let our listeners know at the end of the show, I'm going to talk about some nuggets that I walked away with uh, last night because I attended the Women's Franchise Networking Group. Um, and there was a great panel, uh, and they actually got into how do you turn around a franchise system? Um, and because that happens. So we're going we're gonna to touch upon that. But first, let's go ahead and let's talk about an exciting new emerging brand. I want to give a little bit of background on our guest here. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Brett. Brett Payne is our co-founder and CEO, and he has served in this role since August of 2018. And from September 2007 to 2012, Brett served as the CEO for Endis Inc., a software development company in Springfield, Missouri. Brett, how how did you how did you move over to contenders? Give us a little bit of backdrop there. 
Yeah, sure. Well, uh, certainly it wasn't something that um, that I was looking for, especially since I don't play video games, which is always probably the most shocking thing when I when I talk with people. But uh, yeah, I just I I have a background in technology and a background in in franchising, and um, you know, one thing led to another, and and Patrick and I uh, were connecting at the time, and we had a mutual friend that had uh, some involvement in the industry of esports, and you know, as we were talking with that uh, with that group we realized there was a great opportunity for this industry uh, here in the United States it's a it's an emerging industry that is growing incredibly fast mm-hmm. and of course I looked through everything from the through the eyes of, of franchising and realized there was a lot of kind of mom and pop things around the country but there had there was nothing that had been uh, standardized and so when looking at that opportunity we realized um, there's a chance here for us to to take something that is uh, growing very, very fast to standardize that kind of lay over the the franchising items over this this industry and really uh, give investors an opportunity to capitalize on on these opportunities here in in the u s. And so that's when we started uh, contender esports. and uh, mm-hmm. it's been an exciting, exciting road since the fall of last year. Excellent. And you know what? You hit on something really important there, Brett. And, you know, I think when there's a fragmented space, that's when um, there's great opportunity for a franchise. Um, <clears throat> so thank you for that. Patrick, your, uh, your, your partner in crime here, uh, he's the co-founder as well as the vice president. And he's served in his role, obviously, since August of 2018 uh, beside you. From 2016 to 2018, Mr. Healy served as the director of U.S. Sales for Franchise Direct, uh, which is an international franchise marketing firm. And 2013 to 2016, Patrick, you were the national account director for Display Fixture Warehouse in Atlanta. Uh, and prior to entering into the franchise industry, you actually spent eight years at CBS Corporation from 2004 to 2012, a really uh, diverse background. Yes, uh, and and a lot of that um, has come into play with Contender, though that was not the plan from the beginning, but all of those positions do have a role with Contender and what we've been doing, and Brett and I from from square one, putting this together, we've had to build every aspect of the business. And it's nice to be able to go back and say, boy, a lot of that was worth it, even though it might not have been too enjoyable at the time, to be able to apply those skills and those experiences to what we've been doing to build out the brand. Absolutely. So Contender Esports Gaming Center, can you describe the history of your franchise and how it even came about? Yes. Um, so I was beginning to notice the the esports the gaming space with my friends kids and my nieces and just the, the way they've been playing I, and Brett and I both come from the same school of the last time we played a video game we put a quarter in it so <laughs> so we have about the same True. experience level of of gaming but as I was watching what was going on in the space th- these kids are playing these games and they might not even realize the magic about this but they could be playing someone across the street across town across the country mm. uh, across the planet i've been watching one friend he's playing a kid in in the middle east and these cultures are coming together and it's, it, the nice. light bulb went off says so there a way to put this under one roof where all of these experiences can be wrapped under where these people can meet and expand on these relationships they have all over the place and through some research uh, there was a window of opportunity, and as Brett mentioned, we had uh, some relationships in the esports space, and we started to ask questions. And 
the planets were aligning in the right the right <laughs> way to say we should probably take a shot at this while the strike while the iron's hot and Absolutely. so that's that's uh, how it had come about and that was about uh that that process actually started in the end the holidays of 2017 and right at the beginning of 2018 and it's been a a lot of long days, but it's now coming around. We have our first open in Toledo. We're super excited about that. And that's uh, that's how it all come about. And I definitely want to hear about that grand opening. Uh, but before we dive into that, uh, I, let's, I want to educate people a little bit more about uh, Contender Esports. Um, Brett, what, what makes the Contender franchise opportunity unique, different? Tell us a little bit more about the concept. Help people get their arms around it. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I, th- I think one of the things that's, uh, well, a couple of things that are very appealing. Uh, the, the initial investment seems to be certainly lower than what people expect when they're wanting to get into a franchise. We found that a lot of people that want to want to start a business, they kind of naturally go towards restaurants and things like that. And, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes when they, when they realize what we're doing and the opportunity that's there, they look at the investment numbers and, and they are a little bit lower than you would see uh, typically in a, uh, certainly in a, in a, in a restaurant, uh, concept. But the other thing is the, um, the payroll is really important for people. So when we're talking with potential owners, one of the things that we emphasize is that it is for passive ownership, meaning you don't have to quit your job. Matter of fact, we don't want you to quit your job. There's not much for you to do inside of the location itself. It only takes really one person to run a location. So when you're looking at monthly operating expenses and you realize, wow, I only have to really have a manager and maybe a few staff members uh, part-time staff members. That seems uh, that seems very very appealing, um, and so the the idea of putting in a brick and mortar retail location that offers um, the a gaming experience to what I call the most underserved market in the United States mm-hmm. is really interesting for people. So there's there's not many places in the United States that it won't work. Um, as, as a matter of fact, if people are in towns of 100 and 150,000 people, more than likely there are no other competitors. And so I often tell people, if you put a location in this town, um, we can look at what the competitors might be, which are mom and pop uh, locations. Most of the time there aren't any. And I share with them, if you put a location in here, uh, the chances of you owning 100% of the market forever are very, very high. It's not like putting in a pizza place or a a coffee shop or a restaurant or something like that where you have to compete with other businesses or entities. If you put in a contender esports location, you really are, no pun intended, the only game in town, and it probably <laughs> will stay like that. So that is very, very appealing to investors. Absolutely. So Contender Esports Gaming Center, help us visualize what does this center look like? Sure. Yeah. So Patrick, do you want to describe it because you were there building the one in Toledo? Yeah, yeah, sure. It, it, think of um, think of a cyber cafe, modern day arcade, ah. um, but they're not stand up machines. It's a, a lot of PC based, so your typical monitor and keyboard. But they're geared to gaming. They're they're made specifically for gaming, and a bunch of desks and very comfortable chairs where they can go about their games, whether it's individual or team based or one on one against each other. And then you have your consoles and more for, for the younger kids. Um, Set aside into about 2,000 to 2,500 square feet, and uh, it's uh, when they're filled, it's just a lot of clicking away and a lot of laughing, a lot of yelling, some jarring, people going back and forth as far as 
you know, just like regular sports, there's a, there's some smack talk that going on. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great buzz in there when when they're zinging along. You're hitting on something, um, in my opinion, that is so right on. This is actually more of a social sport than you would think. It, it it's it wants to be the the esports space came out of the home, came out of the bedroom, came out of the basement. It's just the way the, the, the gaming world has evolved. Okay. And as it's become more popular and as more people of all ages, and male and female, are getting into it, they want to be able to enjoy it like most traditional sports. Mm. And they're just looking for a place to go. So the mom and pop land centers, gaming centers, the term has changed. They've been around for 30 years. Um, they're very popular. Um, we've put it in a franchise model where anyone can open them up and you will see when you talk to them, they love the fact that they can enjoy this as a group in a setting that's made for them. So the market is there in a lot of different ways. So, uh, and I don't know who to give this question to, but tell us a little bit about the esports market. What's the most interesting thing you've noticed since actually launching the franchise? Brett, you can pick that one up. Yeah, sure. I, I think the, the 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 thing that really is driving the um, the interest in the United States is is just the chatter that's happening from every part of the industry. I mean, when Patrick and I first started looking at this, um, you know, it it wasn't long after that we started realizing that you know professional athletes were investing in esports, and we started hearing about. Uh, about Jerry Jones and about Mark Cuban and about Michael Jordan and the St. Louis Cardinals and the Philadelphia 70s. And the list was on and on and on mm. with professional athletes that were just not, not playing, but they were investing in teams and investing in the industry. Uh, we then started seeing reports from banks um, like Goldman Sachs started issuing uh, issuing reports of the growth of the industry that was, you know, maybe last year at, or year and a half ago at, you know, $700 million industry, and now it's going to be a $1.6 billion industry. And so we started seeing reports from banks. Uh, we started hearing uh, celebrities talk about it, uh, and it became kind of normal chatter here in the U.S. But I think the thing that really got Patrick and I excited was when we learned that there were I don't know, 300 and something universities around the United States that had esports clubs. Wow. But more importantly, there were about 150 of those that had teams and they were offering scholarships to students to come play esports. That was the thing that completely changed my mind, Pam, because I realized this is this is integrated fully into the culture of the United States now. Yeah. It's not it's not something that's going away. Uh, even academia is recognizing what is happening with esports, and so um, the thing that's most interesting about the industry is how fast it moves. If you pay attention, if anybody pays attention to the news of what's happening in any city or any country, you know, I just I just set an alert for myself, man, because it's uh, there's so much happening. I, I just set an alert from news.google.com, and it sends me a report every day of what's happening around the country. Uh, it's unbelievable the growth of this particular industry. So um, I think that the, the biggest takeaway from, from what is happening is the general awareness in everyday lives and culture around our country and that it's becoming the norm. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not something to the side anymore. It's something that, you know, our demographic is 16 to 35 year olds. And you would say, what, what 32 year old is playing video games? Just ask <laughs> one. They're staying up till two in the morning playing Call of Duty when nobody knows about it. So it's, it's absolutely shocking. 
Yeah, and to expand on that, if you were to ask Brett and I, what's the what was the biggest jump you've seen since you started just considering this to to where we are now? And I think without question, if you were to the colleges and the universities were doing their thing. The high schools were sort of just hovering around. Uh-huh. And you can find some clubs and some programs in some places. In 18 months, you could just pick a high school and ask them. They have an esports club or program. It's either up and running. It's in the works. It's something they're considering. And a contender franchise space um, would be perfect target for them because they said, geez, we'd much rather use your facility because you're already built for us instead of trying to bring one on the campus or on the high school space to build it out. So um, that has been growing 10x. And that's that really shows where the market's going. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just as far as a a franchise formats, right, like different would would a franchisee be able to put a center in on a university uh, or are you targeting more a retail center? Like, what does that look like? Not necessarily on a university. I, I come, my, I grew up on a university campus, so I'm pretty familiar on how they operate. That would get into a little bit sticky, but near okay. one, um, uh, a- absolutely. absolutely. Uh, and we do target with our, um, with our um, franchise location service that we offer. We do target the high schools because if you can pin a franchise around three high schools, the, think of it as a... I, I use the, uh, an ice rink analogy. A lot of schools rent the time at the ice rinks. I come from the Northeast. Uh, we do the same with the contender centers where, hey, can we use your place from two to four when we can have a practice this uh-huh. year times three high schools in a general area and you're able to fill those slower times up with that type of traffic? That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, obviously you've got, um, you. I mean, you've got the demographics right there. Is there a particular ideal market when you think of demographics is there a preferred market because the range of the esports crowd goes from 8 to 38 it's, and it's virtual it's yeah it's you how you would change that is what, what would be the mix of councils to pcs you would have in a particular place if you're going to be gearing more towards college college higher education centric you would have more PCs. If you were more in suburbia and it might be more younger kids, your ratio to PCs to councils would change. But as far as picking a perfect place, uh, some might be better than others, but a lot of places work if it's strategically put down. And we make sure that we don't have anybody looking at a place that might not bet best fit their interests. Well, I know you just had a center that opened in Ohio, which is my home state. Oh, oh, Sam, I spent uh, 14 days in, in, in Toledo and met a lot of people from Ohio. And that was my <laughs> first time Met a lot of Buckeyes, there. eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me, what, tell, tell us about this grand opening. Um, well, Brett can expand on the grand opening. I can discuss the prior to the grand opening. We wanted to get there early and see the build out um, since this was our first one. Yes. And uh, and and it, it went well. There were challenges. I, actually, I'll... I'll I, th- I think this is a, a fair story to tell. Because it was our first one and we had some deadlines, we did make a couple concessions that we might not have normally made. And when Absolutely. Brett and I, when we came back and started to discuss where there might have been some hiccups, we learned a very valuable lesson. Um, the, the contender model in franchises, in general, they're, they're systems, and you're supposed mm-hmm. to be very, you know, we want to stay in line with the systems. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because we were trying to get this open, we made some con- some concessions on those systems, and we found when we tied, well, what was a hiccup here that we had to deal with? It was where we made a concession, and we learned our own lessons as a franchisor. Sure. We need to practice what we preach here. We have systems for the franchisees, and you know, you, you veer off the tracks a little bit, mm-hmm. and you, you, might, it, you get a couple hiccups. So that was a... That was a great lesson to learn on the first one. And Absolutely. You, know, you, you chip your teeth a little bit, and we got through those, and we had a soft opening opened up on time, and um, and Brett was down there for the the, the launch party, which, which uh, Brett, if you want to talk about that, it was, it was the talk of the town. I, it was amazing. People were coming to the center. During the, we had to put paper on the windows because we couldn't get anything done because there was so many people coming by <laughs> to look at it. Uh, Brett, if you want to talk about the launch party, um, I think that would be yeah, great for the uh, listeners. Yeah. I th- you know, the, the thing that I think w- helps the launch party so much is that we're, we're very, very strategic about marketing on social media and the interaction between Toledo, the city, and our franchisees and the staff was just overwhelming for weeks, for a couple of weeks. Um, they really built a community before the door ever opened, and I think that was what paved the way for some really great success there. They, they were the center of the community. But the launch party was, um, for me, was a little bit overwhelming to see this beautiful place that has gone in. Um, the, the store opens at 11 in the morning. The launch party was like from 2 until... I think 10 or something like that, but they basically ran at a hundred percent capacity all day long, um, with people waiting to, to get in. But the atmosphere was just happiness. It was just smiles mm. everywhere. It was people standing around watching other people play. It wasn't like a line at a, at a, again, at a restaurant or something like that where people are frustrated. It, not at all. It was very much about friendship and, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, cheering and giving high fives and, uh, people, you know, watching them, you know, buy our merchandise and wear our T-shirts and our hats, and it, it was just a big celebration. So, I I left Pam at eleven o'clock that night, and there was still a line uh, wow. for people to play. They, they ended up staying up open, open until four in the morning. Oh, As a matter goodness. of fact, they they actually had to change their hours. So the hours typically are to close at midnight, but they've changed their hours on the weekends to stay open. Uh, until three in the morning, just because of the capacity, and we haven't even started the tournaments and all those kinds of things yet. Those start, um, those start this coming week. But one of the other interesting thing was things was that the uh, we had uh, professional gamers that showed up. We had the number one Fortnite player in the city show oh, wow. up. We had Overwatch teams show up, and we had the U.S. military there. So mm. the uh, the army was there. And um, I was curious about all, all of that, and they said, "Well, we actually have an esports team in the army. Uh, can we use your facilities?" I, 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 of course, you can. <laughs> so there, there was the U.S. Army with our Contender Esports logo, and uh, yeah, it was just absolutely, uh, absolutely terrific. But we're at the very, very beginning of connecting mm-hmm. people in Toledo. So even though they know that we're there and they're coming in, and business is growing. Um, the opportunities to connect all the various groups, as as, uh, as Patrick mentioned, the high schools, which aren't in session right now, the universities, uh, meetup groups and other teams and things like that. Um, it's just a matter of, of keeping all the pieces in place to make sure that we can accommodate those and, and really build a community. That's Patrick's word. Build a community for all of the esports players in the city. Anything to add to that? All right, Tom. Yeah, I'll just add one thing. Uh, Part of my practice is working with people who are looking to buy a franchise. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice and comforting when they come in, they're looking at something. Usually by the time they get to me, they're down to one. 
And it's really nice if it's something that they already know a little bit about or have some enthusiasm for. Mm. So all those yeah. 20 to 40-year-olds that you're talking about that are into these uh, into the games and into the industry, you know, those are your potential franchisees. And, it, and they, they, they know the industry. They know what's missing, which is you. And they understand what it is you provide. And um, it's just yeah. a great leg up instead of just yeah. getting some – body that's tired of traveling and wants to settle down and, you know, doesn't, right, doesn't right. have any idea how any of this works. Yeah, a lot of energy yeah. and enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the the interest level has come from many, many facets. It's from lawyers, doctors, um, people in banking, people who are interested in esports. It's been really across the board. Uh, and it's set up for someone who doesn't necessarily have to be an esports enthusiast, but a, a, a good operator. But going back to the launch party, and I had noticed this the week prior to, and this kept coming up, and it just blew my mind every time I'd see it. I'd see two people talking, and I'd just get into this conversation. I think these people grew up together. They've known each other for 20 years, and they just met for 20 minutes ago. It's just the connection that connection. they had in that gaming space. They were just so comfortable with each other, and it just was. It would happen every corner. Be, nobody ever played a game and weren't talking to the people next to the, the right and the left, mm -hmm. and that just was a, a testament that this sort of – and I do use the word uh, community. This community-based gaming um, medium has been very well sought after by the, the gaming community. So talk to us about what are the projections, what are the future plans of Contender Esports? Uh, we, we want to scale. We, want to, um, we, we have uh, other franchises going in other markets. Uh, we want to do it in a responsible way. These centers will be able to connect with each other, which adds a whole other dimension oh, that is wow. not out there in any capacity. And without getting into a lot of the, the details of gaming, we can do things that the, the mom and pop, the individual uh, land standards, gaming center, cyber cafes, the, whichever term you're used to, mm -hmm. uh, cannot do. And um, we want to roll them out. Um, we want to roll them out. Um, we don't have a goal, uh, but we want to hopefully we would be happy if we had um, six or seven open by the end of the year um, at the pace that we're going. And then for, as far as projections for next year, uh, have us back in um, four months. Nice. <laughs> I Absolutely. Give, I could give you a better answer. Hey, Brett, if you want to expand on that, we try to not look too, too far. We, we really want to keep our eye on the ball. So yes. we don't want to – been around emerging brands before, and I've mm -hmm. seen a lot of the traps. So we want to stay very disciplined. Here's our window. Let's just keep our eye on the ball here, focus on these, and do all of them correctly, even if it's a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. We're not a public company, so we're not beholden to Wall Street. Methodical growth. Responsible growth. Responsible growth. I like yes, that. Okay, uh, excellent. Methodical growth, yes. Excellent. So what are some of the characteristics you would look for in a prospective franchisee? Uh, I'd like to split this question with Brett. Um, I tell the people that we talk to, this is a canvas. It's blank. You have this eSports gaming canvas in your community. Use it. We're very open to suggestions. We're not a stringent. We're stringent in some areas of how to operate the franchise, but we are very open to using it in a creative way because this is kind of new in a lot of ways. Sure. So we want somebody who have, and some people really jump out. I get new ideas all the time from from our from our prospects and current franchisees. Sure. Use this in a way that you think is gonna 
grow the brand, provide you of, of steady income. You want to stay in business, but in a way that's going to have the community come to it in a way with ideas. Go, can we use your center for this? Can this center be used for this? Be open, uh, glad hand, get out in the community, e- extend the contender center to these groups because they have a hundred ideas we've never thought of. Mm-hmm. So somebody who is just very open to saying, I built it now come and let's talk on how we can utilize this in a way that um, meets the, the franchise brand uh, um, uh, aspects that we have laid out. Brett, do you have uh, you want to expand on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the, the main thing that we look, that I look for is just some sense of business acumen. I mean, that there has to be, even though they're getting into a franchise, there has to be the entrepreneur element to their life where they believe that they can execute on a system. And that's that's one of the things that I'm really keen to in our conversations. And we have, I don't know, eight or ten meetings a day, no mm-hmm. no kidding, uh, of, of interested parties. It's quite overwhelming, actually. But the the thing that I'm looking for is is talking with people who have taken it upon themselves to understand the industry that aren't looking for us to convince them um, because there's enough on the internet that they don't need me to <laughs> convince them of anything. Um, but they, they've understood it. They realize that there is a, a big opportunity and they believe very much in themselves that they can execute uh, with the tools and the resources that we've given to them to capitalize on that market. So that's the key thing. It's not even, I have so many people, I bet you 75% of the people that I talk with say, by the way, I don't play video games. Um, And some of them are between, you know, in that age group of under 40, but we have a lot of inquiries that are, you know, retirees or close to retiring. um, And they clearly aren't sitting around playing Fortnite. I don't think, um, but they realize that uh, that this is a growing market, and they they have business background, and they they believe that they can maximize on that. So that, that's what that's what we're looking for. Makes perfect sense. Um, and um, I want to uh, kind of wrap, wrap up the uh, this interview, but I um, if you wouldn't mind doing two things. Uh, one is please share uh, how someone would go about getting in touch with you, and also if you have a nugget that you would like to share for any aspiring entrepreneur looking into franchise ownership uh, outside of reaching out to me, Pamela Curry. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, I can be reached at, on LinkedIn and uh, also via our website. And as far as um, uh, advice, the information is power. There's a lot of options out there. You want to know as much as you can about the brand. You have to be very honest with yourself. I, I, actually, that's probably my biggest a piece of advice. Uh, look in the mirror mm. and look at it for what it is. Really peel back the onion and then just say, is this something, first, do you want to do it? Because if you want to do it, you kind of get over the humps on the other things. But sure. can, be honest with it. Can I do it? Mm-hmm. And um, if those answers, no matter how they come back, you're going to make the right decision, whether whether you pass on it. Um, sometimes that's sometimes that's to pass on it is the best decision you ever could have made. You save yourself a lot of money and a lot of trouble. Absolutely. So to be honest with yourself, and if uh, if it's something that you feel, you know, are you going to work or are you going to do something you really enjoy? Mm. And, and Brett, for our listeners, how would they go about getting in touch with you and what nugget for aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise? Yeah, again, they can, uh, uh, obviously, they can just go to the website, and, and my email address is uh, is brett.pain at contenderesports.com. They can email us anytime. Patrick and I will respond to all those kinds of things. Um, the, the nugget that I would share 
Um, I think, are you referring to esports in general or just in franchising in general? In franchising in general, an aspiring entrepreneur that's considering to buying a franchise. Yes. Um, so I, you know, I think the main thing is, you know, kind of what Patrick shared about is, is, uh, find something that you really, uh, can invest in that you believe in. And again, back to my, you know, my, my phrasing about executing on that you believe that you can execute on. So I think there's too many people that get into franchising that believe it's a business in a box. Um, I don't like that term at all. Um, there are a lot of these things that are in the box, but at the end of the day, uh, the franchisee's responsibility is to is to execute with the tools that are given to them. And if they believe that they can do that, then um, uh, then they then franchising certainly is for them. I mean, and people ask me all the time, why would I pay a franchise fee? And I say, uh, you pay a franchise fee for the right to not have to make a million decisions. That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can always do this very thing on your own. There's nothing keeping you from that. That's how America was built. But if you don't want to make a million decisions, then you should get a franchise. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Good advice. Uh, Tom, I mean, I, I, I just want to, since we're kind of on this topic, um, any, any nuggets that you would want to share with an aspiring entrepreneur considering a franchise? I think uh, buying a franchise is uh, sort of a unique opportunity, and uh, it calls for uh, an interesting sort of personality, I think, because you want somebody uh, who's willing to take some risk and willing to work hard mm -hmm. and everything that's involved in owning a business, but they're also in a franchise system, and they need to follow the system, mm -hmm. right? I, I remember somebody that operated a, a yogurt uh, franchise, was a franchise salesman, and he said people are always – telling me we need uh, entrepreneurs, and I know you're looking for entrepreneurs. He said, I'm not looking for entrepreneurs. I'm looking <laughs> somebody who will take the responsibility, get this thing open, and follow the system. Follow the I mean, system. if they have suggestions, that's great. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, they, if they think they're going to be in there and they're going to start selling hot dogs, you know, that's, it ain't going to work. <laughs> that's right. That's, and, that's, uh, not, yeah, that's yeah. not the business model, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Great advice. Uh, I want to share a little bit uh, with our listeners a little bit about you, Tom. Um, I know you're you're obviously a franchise lawyer, which is uh, franchise law is specialized. Um, so that's I think right. that's a very important point to make. Uh, um, you're here in Atlanta. You're with a firm, Maller, Mallerney Branch and Daphner. LLP. I, I, we were giggling about this earlier. It, it, that sort of has a rhythmic <laughs> sound to it. Uh, it's actually in order of age. So believe it or not, there's somebody <laughs> older than me, and I'm in the middle. Mallerney, Mallerney Branch and Daphner, LLP. Uh, most of your practice is actually in the area of franchise law. Uh, you represent both franchisors as well as prospective franchisees and franchisees. That's okay. Yeah. Um, you are one of the few, I can hear a little bit of the accent, a native Atlantan. I am, yes. <laughs> Two daughters and one granddaughter. Yes. Is everybody here in Atlanta? Uh, one daughter is here in Atlanta and the other daughter and the granddaughter in Knoxville. Oh, so very not nice. too far. Uh, so how long have you been in franchising and how did you even get started? Well, I've been around a long time and <laughs> like uh, Brett and Patrick, I wasn't part of a master plan to get into franchising. I had just started in private practice with a small firm, 1980. And uh, I don't even remember what kind of stuff I was doing. And my, the <laughs> senior partner that I worked for came in one day and said, um, hey, we're going to be representing Po Folks Restaurants. And uh, 
the franchisor. Apparently, they're selling franchises. They've sold a few, and apparently there's a franchise law of some kind, and uh, they're going to have to come up with a disclosure document of some kind, and here's the one Wendy's has, and I want you to do one just like that for Po folks. Oh, boy. So that's how I started, and that was the extent of the training that I received. So, you know, <laughs> sort of finding the law, which I had never heard of, yes. and then trying to cobble a document together for the people at Po folks. That's what we call getting your hands on MBA in franchising. Yeah, that's exactly right. right, and that's why most people start. <laughs> and um, obviously you have a lot of tenure, uh, a lot of experience. What are some of the trends that you've seen in the franchise area? Well, over that period of time, and, and really over the last 20 years, I think when I started, it was a lot of restaurants. Uh, I've never done much hotel work, but a lot of hotels, car repair places. Mm. I represented a couple of home cleaning businesses for a long time. Sure. But sort of a narrow uh, spectrum. And that has just completely blown wide open, as you know, from your work, and as you've heard from the uh, contender esports, e right? Sports. That's a perfect example, right? Yeah. And, and especially when people come in and they're looking to buy something and they, or, or someone's looking to start a new franchise and they tell me what it is. I had a guy call me the other day and we talked for a while and finally said, well, what's the nature of the business? And he said, axe throwing. <laughs> axe throwing. And I had never, well, I mean, I've had an axe, but right. I, and apparently that's a thing. It's kind of like what we've heard earlier, people. It's a thing. I've seen it, too. And parties, and I said, okay, well, you know, sure, let's, <laughs> let's talk. So um, if you don't buy the e-contender, then look at uh, axe throwing. <laughs> it is amazing, um, all of the different types of franchises that are out there, right? right? Yeah. And um, and you kind of alluded to this, Patrick. You know, I think very often people think of food still. Um, I think their horizons are starting to be broadened. Uh, but there's so many different options out there today. We definitely have, I think 25% of all franchises are food, but it seems to be 100% of people's consciousness of what if a franchise is. Mm -hmm. right. And we do speak to, and this was part of the part of the attraction of the contender model early on, was it's going to be a lot of people who are thinking food, in love with food, and find out it's okay on this side of the counter, but it's not okay on that side of the counter. <laughs> and we might be able to to maybe provide them an option once they see there's not as many moving pieces and the, the investment level is much more manageable and it's for five employees as opposed to 15 or 16. So uh, we do speak to a lot of people and in the conversation, it's kind of funny. say, so, well, I'm looking at a X food franchise or, or contender and they can't be any more different. Um, so, but that, yes, that is a, that is out there, and it is a lot of people that we speak to for sure. I don't think we go a day without somebody who's looking at a food for. Actually, we probably have two or three a day that are looking at a considering a food franchise. I get it. Well, the other thing that I've been seeing, and it's not necessarily bad or good, uh -huh. is consolidations. So a brand mm. will be part of a family of brands, and more typically than not, they're somehow they're somewhat similar. Yeah. Or home repair, you know, there are those that are any number of things like that. That's probably fine. You have professional staff on the franchisor and they know how to run franchises and so forth. But what I've seen more recently, just in the last few years, is um, where the ownership is now 
with some sort of venture capital group that's mm. come in. Mm-hmm. And what uh, that does concern me uh, because oftentimes when I read the disclosure document, that's not very well disclosed. The financials get very complicated. They're consolidated, and sometimes you get all the way to the notes in the financial statements, and I'm not an accountant. I'm not a genius at reading those. Before you realize that, oh, actually, the owner of this whole thing is some, you know, ABC venture group out of who knows where, and that explains why all of a sudden this franchisor with a lot of franchisees has horrible debt and horrible interest payments and lost money last year because of those and you know were they going to be around what's are they going to and you can't tell how your brand is doing because it's part of a family of brands Mm. you have consolidated financials so are these guys making money or if not they're going to be cut loose yeah so I mean on that I mean on that note I mean you're bringing up a, a really important point which is you know someone receives the franchise disclosure document uh one of the items in there are the financial audits uh gets a little kludgy at times. Yeah. Uh, but what are some characteristics or that someone should be thinking about before even buying a franchise? And then I'm going to hit on a, a backup question after that. What are some characteristics you think they should think about before buying a franchise? Well, do they want to own a business? Uh, <laughs> what sort of resources do they have? Because mm. even with franchises, there are failures because people – just run out of money and run out of money when they open. You know, yes. they beg, borrowed, and stole as much money as they could, and things don't go real well that first six months, and they're just busted. Uh, and that's a terrible situation. So you so you want to choose carefully and think carefully about your um, ongoing expenses. And, you know, I have people come in here with that have or spreadsheet junkies, you know, they run these spreadsheets <laughs> and it's like a gym. So it's member based. And if I, in six months have a thousand members, I'll be making money. And, you know, they come back to me later and well, I've got 200 members mm. and, you know, that's just not going to work. Mm-mm. That's just not going to work. So, um, be know, properly that, funded, be properly funded. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and find something that you enjoy and want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of these, if it's a small restaurant, then chances are you are going to be behind the counter, not absentee like you heard with the other business. And, and that wears on people. That sure. sure does. And as they, they need to really be able to visualize themselves in the business. Absolutely. And uh, even though they may not be working so much in the business, maybe more on the business, they still have to be able to visualize themselves in the business. I had somebody who bought a, uh, it was a man, and he bought, it was a women's fitness business, sort of like Curves, uh-huh. wasn't Curves. And he, uh, I asked him how it was going, and it was going okay. But he said, you know, one thing I really hadn't thought of is that when we're having a class, I can't be in the space mm. because he's a man, and it's all these women, and, the, and these were not real young women necessarily. Right. So he said, I spend a lot of my time on the sidewalk at the shopping center <laughs> making calls and <laughs> trying to do window. some more. Well, no, trying not to look. So, you know, that's a, an example of maybe not really visualizing uh, yeah. his role in the, in the space. Um, so uh, if you were, uh, kind of walk us through, um, if you don't mind, the process. Like you're working with someone that is considering buying a franchise. And like you said, you kind of come in at the end of that process. Help us understand what your role is when you're working with someone who's thinking about a franchise. Yeah, well, usually I, when I come in because of the cost and so forth, they're, they're down to 
you know, they, they have one they like. Oftentimes, they've got a discovery day scheduled, and, you know, they want to sign in two weeks mm-hmm. if it all looks okay. Mm-hmm. And so, um, basically, I go through the franchise disclosure document and then sit down with them and go over it, answer any questions they may have, go over any concerns I may have, and, and also make sure as best I can that they understand what they're yeah. getting. A lot of people really don't read it, and you mention what the royalties or the advertising fees are, and they just nod like, oh, okay, uh, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just getting educated. It's that yeah. legal jargon, right? right? And it's the if and then, you know, it's it's hard to read. Right. Uh, well, you and I were talking earlier, and uh, actually I'm working with a candidate uh, right now, and, uh, you know, one of the questions is, um, would you be comfortable signing a personal guarantee? Will you talk a little bit about what is a personal guarantee what does that mean to the franchisee, and what does that mean to the franchisor? Sure. Well, if you're in most franchise businesses, especially if there's a location, um, and we'll pick on the e-contender, and let's say you're going to open a little restaurant, you're going to if you're going to sign the franchise agreement, you're not going to operate the business individually. You're going to form an entity mm-hmm. and ideally sign the franchise agreement as an entity, and that entity will sign the lease and. Uh, maybe sign, you know, if you get a loan, say you get an SBA loan, mm-hmm. um, all three of those people on the other end, the franchisor, the landlord, and the bank are going to want a personal guarantee. So if mm-hmm. the loan or the lease or the royalties don't get paid by your entity, you have to pay them, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that's a big issue uh, with the lease, and sometimes negotiable, because leases tend to be negotiable. Generally, the the uh, lender, especially if it's an SBA loan, that's just you know it's just required. Period. Uh, and with the franchisor, it's um, sometimes that can be negotiated. Um, typically, in a franchise agreement, if it isn't going well, uh, and you just decide you know it's isn't going well, I'm just going to close. Mm-hmm. And you've been there five years. You're current on your royalties. Uh, and you don't do anything you're not supposed to do. You don't just change the name and try to operate independently and do that kind of thing. More often than not, that's that's the end of the deal with the franchisor. But it isn't always. Mm-hmm. Some some agreements have what they call liquidated damages. I mean, you're in breach if you close like that. You don't mm. have the right to just announce your closing. And so liquidated damages would mean that, okay, you're in breach, and under the contract you owe us, as a, it's not a penalty, but it's a contractual provision, uh, three years worth of royalties okay, to compensate us for our loss. Well, with some of these big franchise businesses, you know, that could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you have a personal guarantee, then you're on the hook for it. So to me, when I see that liquidated damages, that, that to me is really what kicks off my worry about the guarantee. So we either need to get rid of the liquidated damages or limit the guarantee. And, the, and when I say limit, sometimes you limit it by dollar amount. So it'd be limited to $75,000 or maybe maybe some, maybe some it drops off. Okay. So that if we've been there five years, we've been in compliance, then the personal guarantee drops off. Nice. And that- it's of no further force or effect. Excellent advice. Uh, you, you brought up the topic of royalties in your explanation. Uh, I want to, you know, for our listeners who are, are wanting to understand, 
royalties, when there is a minimum royalty in place, explain why a franchisor might do that, because it's a pretty common practice. Um, thoughts around that? You see it, especially in a business where um, it's like a business-to-business sort of franchise, mm-hmm. not like not like the e-contender, because if e-contender opens, they're going to be generating a fair amount of activity. There are going to be royalties, but um, I have a, a client, for instance, franchisor, and they, it's basically sort of an advertising business, sort of like Valpac or Money Mailer. Okay. And they have people that never really get going, and they don't really generate any activity. And so there's a minimum royalty. Look, if, if you're you're holding a territory, you're going to pay something. Right. And it usually isn't a lot, but uh, you don't want to have a territory just sitting there and not generating any activity. Sure. So that's more typically than not where you see it. But, but otherwise, the royalty is typically a percentage of gross revenue. That makes sense. Yeah. I, uh, that, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I never, I, I never put that together. You probably will see it more common in a B2B versus a retail location. That's, that's where I or, see it. And I think it's reasonable in yeah. those circumstances. Absolutely. Because yeah. you, you don't want a dormant territory, right? You're like, wait a minute. I've got this. I'm trying to grow the system. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometime when I see it, if it's not, like if it were an e-contender, and they have a minimum royalty, what I do then is figure out, well, if the royalty is 5% of gross, what sort of revenue would I be doing to be at this minimum? Mm-hmm. You know, is, does this kind of look like yeah. sort of a break-even number, or is it just a number to so that you get Right, back into that. Back into it yeah, and see what and the, if that tells me anything. Yeah, and it, is, it, is it realistic to hit those sales, right? right. Um, that makes perfect sense to me. Right. Um, so I know, so we we're talking a little bit about the really more on the franchisee side, and I know you work with a lot of franchisors, uh, and we've got an emerging brand sitting here in the studio with us. What advice would you give to someone that's considering taking their concept, packaging it, and franchising it, and becoming a franchisor? I think the main thing is that um, typically what what I get is somebody's operating a pizza business. We've got three locations. People are coming into our store all the time and asking to buy a franchise all the time. <laughs> and so uh, if you decide to start franchising that, you're not in the pizza business. You're in the franchising business. Ah. And it is completely different. Mm-hmm. I had one exactly that situation. I won't say who it was. It had a great uh, business here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and uh, they started franchising it. I mean, I helped them. I love the concept. And the phone number that's on the first page of the uh, FDD was the number at the desk at the restaurant. <laughs> you know, it was the one where they take the take, take the order. Orders. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that's, the, that's, that the, <laughs> that's not a real and serious investment in the franchise. It had no staff particularly. Right. And if you, the training, well, they sold a couple. The training was to go back in the kitchen and, uh, you hang know, out. Hang out. And those guys didn't. <laughs> the guys in the kitchen didn't want to see. <laughs> so it was terrible. They had a couple and they didn't work and they stopped franchising. You know, it's interesting you should say that because I frequently share with uh, my clients when I'm working with them. I say, you know what, really, there's two sides of the business equation here. One side is the proven methods of operation uh, and the experience there. But the other side of that business equation is to know how to grow and manage a franchise system. And the good news with that is um, I've got a couple that I've represented for years, and um, 
I think both cases, is a husband and wife probably operating out of their home. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they ever got over 40 franchisees. Mm-hmm. But they have very little overhead. They're very, the franchisees are very loyal. They mm-hmm. have almost no turnover. I mean, it really is sort of a family. And they do very well. I mean, they make a nice, and the multiples of that, if you ever get ready to sell it, are good. Yeah. So you don't have to be, you know, have 2,000 two franchisees, uh, you know, you can, you want to go slowly as, uh, as we heard early, responsibly, I think was the term. Yes. And, um, yes. yeah, because I have other people come in and they sold two and they're both just a complete headache and a nightmare and they're sending them nasty emails. And, and they'll usually say, you know, I didn't, I had a bad feeling when we sold this. <laughs> Yeah, when uh, when the the conception of contender came about, and when I, before we even had a name, and I approached Brett, he if anyone if the listeners out there know who Tim Ferriss is, when I worked with Brett in a past life, I, everything he did was great, was very 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 specific, and we try to take that same the, the same actions and put him into the uh, into the franchise model. So when somebody comes in. After the training, it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and you just go through the steps, and which would help as it grows. Everybody's on the same page, and Brett's been excellent at that and, and executing that with our uh, with our operations manual and our systems now. And, yeah, it is it is important because we could be thinking, all right, we're at one now. What about at 20? Is everyone going to be doing the exact same thing, whether in California, Connecticut, Maine, or Florida? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're giving them some flexibility in terms of how they operate. So there's got to be sort of a core that you, you can add things, but at, at its core, the business includes these elements. Yes, it's super flexible in the marketing areas, and uh, I want to say stringent, but there's, there's no reason to go off the beaten path because you're only going to make your life. We figured it out. We bumped our nose, and so uh, um, that, that, uh, that's hopefully everybody follows suit with that and we're able to keep consistent. So no axe throwing in the back of the uh, <laughs> There's no axe throwing, but actually I would bet dollars at donuts there's an axe throwing video game out there somewhere. Oh, okay. I would not I, surprise well, there we go. me. So, Tom, uh, I, you are a wealth of knowledge, and I know we barely scratched the surface here. Um, and you guys kind of have given me a nice segue to talk about a couple nuggets from the Women's Franchise Network. But how would someone go about getting in touch with you um, if they were a franchisor, a prospective franchisee? Um, well, the website would be the best thing, it's, okay. which is uh, MBD, Melanie Branch Daphner Council, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, Com. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much. I, I could sit here and ping you with a lot more questions, but but we're running out of time. It's all right. Okay. No, I enjoyed it. It's been fun. Excellent. Well, thank you. And uh, just you know, for our listeners, you know, there was a great event that happened last night. You know, I tried to get remain really active in the franchise community and uh, there was uh, a, an event, Women's Franchise Network, they they get together, and there was a panel with Cl- Clarissa Bradstock and David McDougall. I hope I'm saying his name right. But uh, what they were talking about is basically how do you turn around a franchise? Sometimes you do grow too fast. Uh, so I'm so happy to hear that we're all kind of in consensus here about the importance of growing responsibly. But a couple nuggets uh, that... Um, I took away that's highly important and um, was that be sure as a franchisor 
to really talk with your franchisees, you know, really have those open lines of communication, uh, make sure you're getting the negative and the positive, bringing it into perspective, listen to those stories and, and learn from them. Uh, and both of the um, individuals on the panel repeatedly said that. Um, also, they said, be sure to get alignment of why you're here and involved in this franchise system together. Because uh, it is a partnership, right? And, uh, so let's get in alignment with what we're trying to achieve here. And so I thought that was great advice. Uh, and also, and we kind of hit on this actually in our, in our conversation today, uh, be sure to recognize that as a franchisor, you're not going to implement every franchisee's idea, right? You, you, yes, you're going to have to say no to some things. And you want to make sure that your focus is on the core competencies uh, and, and that criteria that's needed to be successful in the business. I thought, oh, that absolutely. And another great piece of advice that came off of the panel is, is you are going to hear not everybody's going to be happy. And uh, you're going to want to, as a franchisor, immediately go in there and try to fix it. Don't think you're going to have to go in there and fix it right away. Come up with some ideas and sit on it, collaborate around it before you implement it. Uh, so don't act too quickly. Um, and just sort of as, as a final wrap-up around that, um, Tom, I'm going to turn to you. Any, any additional nuggets that you would give to someone as far as creating a successful franchise system? Well, and you started with talking about turning one around, and uh, a lot of times you have a system where you have a, a significant number sort of at the bottom that mm -hmm. just aren't doing well. And a lot of times they're not angry at you. They're just not doing well. And uh, uh, the successful people that I've represented, when you read their FTD, they have no litigation. They're not – and not a lot of terminations. Mm -hmm. They're not suing these people. Mm -hmm. You know, it hadn't gone well. And so they have, they talk to them and say, you know, it's probably, um, we probably need to find a way to get you out of this, mm. get somebody else in there or just exit as opposed to calling it a termination. Mm -hmm. So you sort of work through the, the folks at the bottom uh, and then simultaneously, you know, re-examine if you're having, if 15% of your stores are really underperforming, they may need to re-examine your concept a little bit. Makes sense. And, and maybe who it is, your, who your target market is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of self-evaluation if you're trying to turn things around, which is hard to do, mm -hmm. honestly. Yep. Great, great, great advice. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead. We're going to have to uh, tune out here. We could go on and on. Thank you to our listeners. Again, this is Pamela Curry, host of the Franchise Business Radio Show, a platform to bring together franchise professionals and resources to connect, educate, and collaborate to serve the franchise community. And I also want to say thank you to Franchise City for sponsoring Franchise Business Radio. Thank you again for joining Pam Curry and her guests on the Franchise Business Radio Show, sponsored by Franchise Intellect, knowledge and insight of the franchise community for franchise selection. More info at FranchiseIntellect.com. Also made possible in part by Franchise City, a better way to buy a franchise. More info at Franchise.City. Use the social media links here to share today's show and check out more episodes at FranchiseBusinessRadio.com.